0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gameology podcast. This is Attila Gabriel-Bunitsky, and I'm joined this week again by Chris Ferris. Hello. And this week, we're going to be talking all about the sort of early real-time strategy scene. This is going to be talking about uh, Command and Conquer franchise, uh, the Warcraft franchise, which, Chris, you know a bit more about than I do. Um, Yes. But yeah, this is just going to be sort of like part one of two, I guess, talking about real-time strategy games. Uh, just because we both know these games and played them so much that we just we have too much to talk about for just a single episode so um true. chronologically you probably started playing these games before i did yes just because of the uh difference in years between us not that significant but still um what was the first game that you had in mind that you want to talk about
1: well the very first game that i ever remember like seeing was when i was like in grade school and uh, I saw a friend of mine playing StarCraft. Uh, and I think Brood War, the expansion pack, had just been released. And so I was like, I was like less than 10 years old at the time. Um, and so like, my parents were not keen on me starting to play all these games that are, you know, have, have lots of blood and death. Mm. And uh, you know, the 90s was a very, very different time when it came to uh, violence in video games. Uh, so it was uh, a very sort of different thing, but after enough uh, enough months of me whining, uh, my parents decided to shut me up and buy me some StarCraft, and that was sort of the first thing that I'd ever played. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, I learned about uh, Tiberian Sun, uh, which had, at that point still like it had been out for a couple of years already and uh i remember playing it it was the first online game that i'd ever played because i never played starcraft online we never had a reliable internet connection but um for tiberian sun i just had some friends uh and we would uh often play it either via lan or we'd play online usually at my friends houses
0: i was always a bit too much of a coward to play these games online i would just fire up a session of whatever command and conquer game i was playing and just exclusively play it against like skirmishes against AI. That was just oh. my thing. Oh
1: yeah. Like I remember like some of my most traumatic childhood experiences come from losing in Tiberian Sun. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Such to the point that where like when I fired up Tiberian Sun the other day like I it's been so long since I have since I've played I've lost, lost all the magic I once had but it sort of like gave me like these uh, it triggered some like memories and stuff like that and I was like oh this is this is that feeling again. Uh, Even though I was playing against AI, but, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. StarCraft was always too intimidating to play online with. Like, even when I was playing LAN with friends, I was very intimidated because my friends were good. And I was terrible. Uh, It it took a lot of practice. I was finally able to... uh, Like, it was only when StarCraft Two came out that I actually, like, played it uh, online and... Uh, played it against other people but even still like i was i was like bronze bronze league hero type material
0: okay i don't really have any point of comparison um is that like sort of high enough to be ranked but not very high ranking uh i think that
1: bronze league is sort of like the lowest tier um uh bronze league heroes is a series by Husky starcraft it's amazing Uh, It hasn't been, like, it's a a series that ended, I think, a while ago. And I I think Husky Starcraft isn't doing much anymore. But uh, Bronze League Heroes is basically a bunch of low-level players who don't know what they're doing, um, you know, fighting each each other. But it's always funny because because neither player knows how to play the game, really, or, like, is very inept at it. um, It's just really funny to sort of watch them scramble to
0: like Mm. play the game properly I could make a politically incorrect joke here but I'm not going to (laughs) Uh, anyway moving on I yeah I I think it's interesting that like growing up you know I had a Nintendo other people had Sony or Xbox Um, I grew up playing Command and Conquer I always sort of felt like You know, in a very real way, the franchises were competing with one another, but I demonstrated my loyalty by only playing the Command & Conquer franchise until StarCraft II. Um, So I think it's interesting that, like, you went sort of, like, from one game to the other, just, like, back and forth,
1: I guess? Pretty much. I mean, like, we went back and forth between uh, Tiberian Sun and StarCraft for a long time. Um, Brood War and Tiberian Sun were, like, my two staples when I was a kid. Um, They were so different, and I really loved like, the differences between them. Um, you know, I know that they were competing games, but they were, to me, like, they were, like, really uh, like, they were staples. Tiberian Sun, I was, like, I always remember the atmosphere of it. I, I remember, um, you know, building, building in the cities, and using the map generator to create maps that had giant cities that so you could have, like, city sort of skirmishes and stuff like that, and Oh man, it was just—it was always really fun to uh, play against the AI in that sort of situation. Um, the campaign—I think that uh, you know the the campaigns for StarCraft and Tiberian Sun, uh, like StarCraft, had easily had the better story and mm-hmm. the better characters. And even though their cinematics were, um, you know, they they were definitely going for something different. They were going for like straight. Straight on drama, drama, and to get you invested in the game. Whereas I felt like with Tiberian Sun and any of the Command Carper games, really, like they did great with what the with what limited budgets they had for for their uh, FMVs. But like, yeah, they uh, <laughs> they Those definitely. Those videos
0: were always just stock full of cheese.
1: Oh yeah, but I mean, like, it was sort of like that. Like, even even watching through again, like, now I, I look back on it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the guy who did the voice of Mufasa, and he did so good, but it's such a bad Like, it's such, like, a <laughs> campy thing. Uh, James Earl Jones, just my hero as a kid, but, like, you know, watching through *Tiberian Son, uh, Son's campaign, is just sort of like, really? Okay. Um, yeah. But, like, Joe Kukin did an amazing job with Kane, like i gotta hand it to the guy like he knew that character and like Mm -hmm. and he he was hammy like he knew how to ham it up in ways that no other actor really could Mm -hmm. um so like you know it was just it was always sort of on a different level and it made playing through the campaign um something that i would do less of with uh, the the sort of tiberian universe um now it was after that that i sort of went back because like like i said like at this time like i was still like 10 years old Mm uh I think it was when I was, like, 13 or 14, I actually started to go back and see what the older games were all about uh, with the original Command Conquer and the original Warcraft. And, like, they, they look like completely different games. Like, they are... Uh, like, they, they seem a lot similar, I guess, looking, like, in retrospect. They seem a lot, sim- like, similar to each other because you can tell that they were sort of competing for similar audiences. Yeah. Uh, but, like, very, very different... In terms of like uh in terms like in terms of like graphical fidelity and even like the tone like even the original warcraft felt a lot more like the uh the campiness of uh like uh command and conquer like mm-hmm. it felt like they were very similar tones in that respect i think that for me starcraft was like like starcraft was the breakout starcraft was the one that actually like took its campy drama seriously. Yeah. You know. Like it, it felt like they had they nailed the tone for it, right?
0: Yeah, like StarCraft 2 is where I got into that franchise and they like it was something that I was able to play through with Sydney because like they actually made an effort to make the story compelling enough that you wanted to see it through to its conclusion. So oh, yeah. even if I was just sort of calling her over between uh the actual campaign missions themselves which a lot of the time there was like story beats that played out in those matches so it was just yeah it it was a a cool experience to like genuinely enjoy and be invested in the campaign um and i didn't even play skirmishes as much in that game as i did in the command and conquer franchise because like i i enjoyed command and conquer for the skirmishes i overall still to this day prefer the gameplay of the command and conquer series over that of starcraft but I really appreciate the story that StarCraft had to tell.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. When it comes to, like, the betrayal of Kerrigan in StarCraft 1, like, that got me. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, you know, I was a kid at the time, but, like, you know, it, it was like, wow, that's, that's horrible. How How is this going to resolve? Mm-hmm. And then, like, yeah, like, it, the first StarCraft sort of ends with this weird uh, like, sorry, The original StarCraft story ends with, like, this huge cliffhanger, Um, like, with, like, what's going to happen with Kerrigan? Is she Mm -hmm. now dead with the Overmind? Like, what's going to happen with all the, like, displaced people, um, like, all the protests on Iron and stuff? And so I was really invested in that. But yeah, I think that you're right in that the gameplay, it was a lot slower. It felt a lot more sluggish than the Command Command Conquer franchise um i mean tiberian sun is sort of a, a weird comparison to say that too because yeah, i feel I mean, like that
0: game is slow
1: tiberian sun is is very slow like i guess i i guess i always played as nod and when you play as nod it feels a little bit more fast-paced just because yeah. like your, your units can actually move at a decent clip but um yeah like i always felt like it was a lot snappier um i felt like especially with like red alert 2. Um, it felt like you could get through a game of that a lot quicker and you could get good at it a lot quicker. Yeah, but it you... feels
0: like they really cranked up the speed of the game in Red Alert 2 because like, as of uh, Tiberian Sun, things move on like at a snail's pace. I-, I feel like that was just like the best they could optimize at the time, so they just sort of designed the speed of the game around it. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly why, but it's it's always faster in your memory, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, You go yeah. back and you sit down to play it and you're like... Oh, wow, that tank fired a shell, and I can see it slowly arcing towards my infantry. Oh, I actually yeah. have enough time to highlight him and tell him to move. Uh, it doesn't actually matter, because even though it hit him and he's 10 feet away, it's still... Like, you can move characters away from where artillery or tank shells are going to hit, and the game just disregards that and says, No, he, he was shot. We just didn't have the like speed to process this fast enough, so we're counting that oh, yeah. as I hit.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, the other thing with, um, like, that was the thing, though, is that, like, they had to optimize it in these sorts of ways because there was no, like, unit cap. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, re- like that, was the, that was the big thing is that in, in StarCraft, you have a unit cap of, like, 200, but it's infinite with the Command & Conquer franchise. And I always yeah. remember that, like, being, like, a big thing. It's like, I can just have, like, a million infantry units. I can slow my computer to a crawl. But it'll be awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I guess um, before we get too far into this episode, let's sort of like describe how the core mechanics of these games actually differ. So yeah. um, since I'm more familiar with Command & Conquer, maybe I'll take my turn to describe it and you can describe how StarCraft or WarCraft um, compares against it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so with Command & Conquer, you basically start out with one central um, construction vehicle called your MCV for Mobile Construction Vehicle as a kind of interesting gimmick the whole structure could actually pack up and move somewhere else if you wanted it to and um, from there you construct basic um, sort of tenants of a a base you need like power plants to maintain your power supply which keeps your structures active and not like if something doesn't have power it simply won't produce units or won't like base defenses won't operate that sort of thing Um, you need refineries which you place as close to uh, in uh the Tiberian universe, you place them as close to fields of Tiberium as possible. So that they can harvest resources um, via the uh, harvester units. And then in command and Con- uh, red alert that they were just like generic ore fields, they called it, which basically had the same properties of Tiberium, but it's not Tiberium. So yeah,
1: it's, it's not, it's natural Tiberium. Exactly. It's like rocks.
0: It's, it's uh, well, whereas Tiberium is actually like a virulent crystal that like turns other matter into more Tiberium as the central like focus of campaign stories in the command and conquer series in red alert or is just a thing that occurs it's gold that grows on trees practically yeah um not actually but it grows on the ground anyway so you you construct power you you manage your like money inflow you build unit production structures so like barracks for infantry vehicle factories airfields and oddly enough in the original command and conquer game when you build an airfield that's what you use to deploy tanks Like, Mm. you you fly tanks in. I always remember that. Like, it kind of makes sense because, like, you can't conceivably construct vehicles on site, but you can fly them in. So they were almost trying to be, like, a little more realistic with that. Um, And then you have, like, your super weapons and whatever. But just the overall flow of the game is very simple. Like, you build power. You build tech expansion structures, which unlock, like, more powerful tiers of units um you gather together an army and you do battle at least that's how i play the game uh i know usually you're supposed to drop multiple unit production structures and there's all kinds of different strategies of course that you can approach like there's no set build structure you have to follow um so for comparison would you care to describe like how starcraft goes about things
1: so yeah um so with command and conquer there was you you played as one of two sides and it was same thing with warcraft you could play as the orcs or the humans, you could play as the GDI or not, you could play as the allies or the Soviets. Um, but with StarCraft, you could play as one of three factions. Uh. That's, that I think is the biggest thing. And the differences between the factions really change everything. Like I think mm-hmm. that that was why StarCraft was such a widely regarded RTS, was because you had the Zerg, you had the Terran, which are humans, and you had the Protoss. And depending on which race you played as, it would affect your whole playstyle because each faction was so different. Um, so, I mean, the, the basics are still sort of there. Like you start off with a bunch of resource gathering, but then uh, you create units and then you use those units to sort of do battle. Um, in StarCraft, instead of... Like I found that with with uh, Command Conquer, you tended to not use the full of your force to do battle. Like you would always leave some behind, and you would always concentrate also on your base defenses. Whereas I felt like with StarCraft, there wasn't as much of that. I guess it was mostly trying to find out where their big ball of units was and whether or not your composition was right. Uh, at least that's how I remember it uh, back in the day. But. Um, Yeah, like a lot of it was focused on the macroeconomics of the game where if you had your resources and you had your, you know, if you gathered your crystals and you gathered your Vespine gas, then you, you were on it, like you had a huge advantage over everyone else playing. So it's very much like a knowing how many mining units you have, knowing what you want to be building and how much money they cost and like timing it out appropriately was sort of very important in that, um, uh, to me i think more more so than in um the command and conquer games because i felt like in the command and, command and conquer games you could like you could lose your base but still win mm. you know whereas you, you in starcraft that would not have been like that at least early like early game or early starcraft not not so much um warcraft 3 changed changed a lot of that i guess um and uh I think that Warcraft Three is also a much slower game than even Starcraft was, because Starcraft was still fairly like fast paced. Like I'd say that, you know, there's a lot more mining at the beginning of the game than there is in uh, Tiberian Sun and um, the Command and Conquer franchise. But uh, whereas, like in, in Command and Conquer, like you tend to like like the first things that you build are like basic units, uh, like you actually like your your army and stuff like that. You can actually start with that. Uh, Whereas in StarCraft, it's a lot more like you spend a long time just getting your base functional, basically. Mm. Um, Warcraft 3 is even more so. Um, Warcraft 3 bumps the factions from 3 to 4, which I think is a great call. Um, They also added in heroes. Which is also another great call. Like I'm, mm-hmm. you know, going back to our last podcast where we talked about uh, modding and how we want to add eight factions to World Three. Like in my opinion, the more more factions, the better. Uh, the more play styles that you can encourage, the better. Uh, you don't want the game to become samey. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Warcraft Three, it was even more slow, uh, just because the units had much much higher health. Like the like even the most basic units had like 90 health hit points and it would take like quite a few hits to like take them down. So like when armies battled, they battled for a while and retreating was very important um, because it took a lot of resources to build a unit. And uh, so like you would always retreat and stuff like that. So whether you were playing as humans, undead, um, the night elves, or uh, the orcs, um, you know, you, you really had to focus on sort of your army composition and, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, you you didn't lose too many because it would be a long time before you could replace them. And, you know, you really have to focus on like healing and stuff like that. It also Mm -hmm. felt a lot more like an RPG because you had these hero units that would level up if uh, certain things, like if you, uh, uh, if you killed enough units, basically. So a lot of times you would actually have like uh, NPCs sort of uh, scattered around the battlefield that you would sort of go in and you'd have to clear out these, like, you know, hostile, hostile no-man's lands. And that would be how you would level up your heroes. And so by the end of the game, you'd have these, like, epic ninth-level heroes that would just, like, duke it out with each other and, you know, it would be all about the micro micromanagement of your units. Um, so, yeah, very different game. Um, but, uh, like, I... Like it's much slower, I think, uh, than in Command and Conquer, especially especially Red Alert Two, um, which I think is a, a good comparison. Red Alert mm-hmm. Two was just faster, and it felt a lot better. Red Starcraft, it felt it, Starcraft was faster paced than Tiberian Sun, but still, um, it, there was a lot of macroeconomics. There was a lot of like focusing on resources and getting resources up to snuff. So
0: it was very yeah. different so i guess if you had to sort of directly compare and contrast how these things handled resource management in both factions you have a basic currency um in command and conquer you only have to worry about money and power power keeps your base alive money keeps your units coming out and building new structures whereas in starcraft you actually need to invest in like crystals which are the sort of basic tier money you build most of your structures with that and then you actually have to build a second um like you don't, you don't have to worry about harvesters. You just plonk a mine right on top of a Vespine um, gas geyser. Uh, is it a geyser? I don't remember. Yeah, it's a Vespine um, geyser, yeah. Right. So then you just sort of directly harvest from that. It's a bit more streamlined. Um, but then you have like these two different currencies that you're dealing with. And you also have the unit cap currency in effect. Like you have to the build, supply, yeah, exactly. Supply. You have to build new things that will help you field a larger army.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like even even that sort of varies, um, like even that sort of varies depending on um, which faction you play as. Like, for example, in uh, with the Protoss, you your supply generators also are power generators that you can only place buildings around those like power pylons. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with the Terran, you can build anywhere. Like yeah. you can, if you can get somebody out to the middle of the into the middle of the field, you can build them pretty much anywhere. Same thing with uh, with Zerg. It's very different. They have their buildings all emit this creep substance, and you can build on the creep. Um, and there, and like the creep is completely separate from their supply. Their supply is actually got uh, like is these giant uh, strange beasts called overlords that just sort of like hang around and you can like move them and they, they use as troop carriers later on in the game so it's like very very different depending on which faction you play as how you're like how all these three things come together so it sort of ends up where Terran ends up being the most versatile because you can build anywhere and supply is not tied to like power or anything like that um, it basically just comes down to you know can you get enough uh, how do you balance out your, your um, how do you balance out like your your army composition, uh, with the Zerg, it's like how many how many units can you pump out? Like how many like how many can you swarm the battlefield with? You really need to get like you really get these huge balls of uh, of uh, uh, units basically that you can use in your army, and it's you know it's all about overpowering people. Whereas with Protoss, it's a lot more. Uh, I guess it's more similar to like Warcraft Three in the sense that you know each unit takes a lot of resources and has a lot of health. So if one dies, like you know that you're at a significant loss, so you really have to like be cautious about that. But at the same time, um, you know, with the uh, with having your pylons and stuff like that, it, it provides other opportunities for you know. It's it's almost has the same kind of versatility as the Terran, but not as much. It's a lot, a little bit slower.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's definitely th- it's cool to see how the designers had a sort of like dominant strategy in mind for each faction, and then constructed. Their mechanics based around that. Like, they always envisioned the Zerg as being this, like, hive or swarm. So, they Mm -hmm. created mechanics that enforced that. They envisioned the Protoss as being these, like, elegant, powerful, technology based species with, like, energy shielding. And that made their individual units much more sturdy, but it also made them much more costly to to, to produce. To produce, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I just, I always love that kind of mechanical reinforcement when it's done well.
1: Oh yeah, and I mean it fits in very well with the story too, like they came up with really good, like it it really fits in with the aesthetics, it really fits in with the lore, Uh, it felt very cohesive.
0: Yeah, so um, I think Red Alert 2 is probably a game that we both played a lot about, and we've only kind of briefly touched upon it, so is there anything that you wanted to say in particular about that, It's about as far as we're going chronology-wise?
1: Sure. um so Ruler 2 is actually a game that uh, I played less than Tiberian Sun and less than Starcraft, but it's still one of the ones that like when I when I went back and played through the the rest of the series uh, because like because I started playing out of uh, like I started playing video games entirely around the time that Ruler 2 was released, like it took me a while before, it was sort of on my radar, I guess. Um, it was just a different time. So mm-hmm. when I went back and started playing through it, it really did feel like I was going back and playing through, like, a sort of updated StarCraft that had a little bit better graphics. And it, everything I remember being so vibrant um, and a lot more, like, colorful compared to, like, yeah. the grays and the, the greens. Like, I remember, like, Tebrian Sun to me was, like, really glowy. Lots of cool lighting effects, but, like, very, like muted like you were playing in wastelands the whole time yeah. and same thing with starcraft you were playing in wastelands the whole time even like the jungles in starcraft didn't really feel like jungles they felt like wastelands with trees yeah <laughs> but uh you know it i think that with Red Alert two they really stepped things up like you're still playing in wastelands but they were like tundra wastelands that were very like vibrant blues and all the units and stuff had very like vibrant reds and stuff like that so i remember it very uh as being a very colorful, colorful game in comparison. Um, same thing with the gems and the gems mechanics. Like they were so bright, it was like, yes, I found them. <laughs> like, yeah, I so really let's explain to
0: that real part. quick. Because they, they had that they had gems in Red Alert One as well, and they in Tiberium they have green Tiberium, which is the normal stuff, and blue Tiberium, which is the special stuff. Both oh, yeah. convert to currency, but just at a much higher rate. Like gems, I, I feel like it was like double the value if not more um to have a harvester full of gems as opposed to a harvester full of regular ore and uh i always remember like they they put like special color icons to indicate what a harvester's carrying capacity was and it was always a big deal to expand out to the place where you could get gems because they didn't naturally occur close to your starting base right so it was a nice way to sort of encourage players to like Hey, you really have to con- have control of the battlefield to win this. You can't just like plonk down in your starting area and build up from there. Yeah, it's true. So, I guess uh, for my part, playing Red Alert Two, that was a game that I had been like looking forward to and anticipating. After playing um, Command and Conquer, the original uh, Red Alert, the original Red Alert, and then Tiberian Sun, uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert Two. Was like the first game that I owned my own copy of. The other ones I was just playing my brother's or stepbrother's copies of, and um, <laughs> my mom got so sick of hearing the voiceovers for oh, like yeah. building construction complete because I, I I played the expansion uh, Yuri's Wrath where they added a third faction to that game. Oh right. And um, I really liked playing as Yuri because he had a mobile refinery, which was right. this insane innovation. For his faction, where rather than having a harvester that had to go all the way out to a field and then do the harvesting, come all the way back, Yuri's entire refinery could just pack up like the mobile construction vehicle, move to where you wanted it to, and then redeploy. So that felt really cool, like just mechanically different from the other factions. Um, That was also like in in Red Alert One, the harvesters for both factions were identical, just like these dump trucks with. Um, like scoopers on the front of them. Mm-hmm. In Red Alert 2, the Allied faction, their harvester, when it finished, like when it was full of ore, it teleported back to base. It had like chronosphere technology, right. which allowed it to jump through space time. And in contrast, the Soviet harvester had a mounted turret so that if it was uh, harassed by like rocket infantry, it could defend itself. Um, so that's where you're starting to see, like, the they're really trying to differentiate these factions and encourage different play styles, which is something that they really carry forward in future games.
1: Yeah, and didn't? I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they also do the naval stuff in Red Alert oh, as well? Oh yeah, like they started that was a, such a huge
0: thing. Like, um, Command and Conquer Tiberian Universe is always sort of stuck with infantry vehicles and aircraft but red alert 2 was where they really broke out and added like red Alert. original red alert had battleships and naval yards but i feel like red alert 2 like stepped a lot forward a lot more in that direction in terms of like naval units that could cross over and hit things on land but yeah they um (laughs) fielding a battleship was always a special feeling in the original red alert because it was this powerful Thing that could fire at artillery ranges from the water oh, so yeah. you always had to keep abreast of that and maybe have some aircraft ready to take it down if you needed to so that was all really cool stuff and i think it's it was moments like that that i really enjoyed in these games it Was like getting to some powerful unit and using it to absolutely trounce my opponents who were probably ai far too low level you know i had I don't think I ever particularly challenged myself because I was still playing these things at a relatively young age, but, um, overall I just, you know, did what I could to find the fun in them.
1: Yeah. One of the things that really struck me about Rudd Alert 2 was the artwork, like the pixel art, uh, was really good. It was a really great combination of pixel art and, uh, voxels that they'd used in all the other Command Carver games. Um. I feel like they sort of went down the StarCraft kind of road where they really started to modify the uh, the generated sprites that they'd uh, sort of come up with. So mm. the way that they had it was, you know, they'd rent, they'd had these full, beautiful 3D models that they sort of took pictures of, and then mm. they would create sprite sheets from those. Uh, and it was so... Um, like, that was how it was for StarCraft. But I think for Command & Conquer, it was more like... The render like there were 3D models in the game that the renderer just like rendered at pixel pixel level. Oh, um, wow! Yeah, it was so it was very sort of different. Um, I'm not sure if they changed that up for Riddler 2, but uh, yeah, it was. I just remember the artwork for it being just absolutely gorgeous. Um, like they it, it felt like it very, very it looked like it always looked beautiful to, mm-hmm. to play, you know um it like again like the the greens and reds were so bright and yeah. um yeah i just remember it being sort of this game that i uh, like to me was very like accessible
0: mm-hmm. i guess like you know i would recommend people go f- as far back as red alert 2 uh if they wanted to try any of these games but here's the funny thing having played so much command and conquer 3 which we'll talk about in our next episode mm-hmm. i have such a hard time going back and playing these old real-time strategy games because they completely (laughs) changed the control scheme. It's true. Like, they... Just for um, a quick overview, basically, in the original games, you would left-click to highlight a unit and then left-click to tell them where to go. And in the new games, they made it so you... Left-click is just selection and then you right-click to tell them where to go and right-click to tell them to attack something and so on and then left-click just deselects so i all the time when i went back to play red alert 2 would left click to highlight a unit right click to try to tell it where to go and that would cancel my selection i'd be like damn it i would try to highlight it again tell it where to go by left clicking and then left click to try to dismiss it and then tell it to go there instead of ah (laughs) so it's one of those things where if you're approaching strategy games with no previous like experience you're not going to get tripped up by it because you don't expect things to work a different way but if you're if you've played more modern games and you try to go back to these you're gonna find them tricky to play
1: yeah they're gonna be pretty slow and they're gonna be they're gonna like yeah all of the all of the controls are gonna be a little bit different but I think that it's it's very interesting because you can sort of see the end of this era like mm-hmm. brother two, I think it was like the one that really pushed its engine the most like you can tell that it like all the Command and conquer games have engines that are very similar to each other like you could tell that they had sort of progressed along this this path with it but i feel like you know by the time that they get to red alert like you can tell that they're really like getting to the end of, of of they're really pushing the the envelope for what this engine can do and uh it, you know it's hard to sort of see where it can go from there and um you know with with a lot of other games coming out at the time because it came out just a year before. Uh, yeah, Brood 2 came out just a year before Halo came along and uh this sort of the console craze started to get going and there was a lot of a lot more 3D games sort of coming out. So a lot of times like even though the pixel art was really good um mm-hmm. like it was still it was still like overshadowed by other things sort of coming along and the competitive scene for Brood 2 never really stuck around because they, everyone seemed to be playing Brood War instead. Yeah. The StarCraft uh, StarCraft expansion. So um, I feel like it was sort of at this point uh, that was it did was Westwood owned by EA at this point? It would have been like around this time. Yeah, I
0: think it's one of those things where Westwood, like, I'm pretty sure EA published Red Alert two. It wasn't like until um, Command and Conquer three and uh red alert 3 where ea was like in full ownership of the um of the studio but i am just double checking really quickly uh publisher for red alert 2 hmm, doesn't actually it just says the developer was westwood uh, I don't see uh yeah the developer was here.
1: westwood but it was it, like um because they turned it they turned westwood studios into oh yeah EAL. publisher was
0: ea that's why they've got the uh they've got the big ea logo front and center on ra2 yeah exactly
1: exactly so they they published it but i mean after that they sort of turned westwood studios into an ea company like they called mm-hmm. they, they turned it from being westwood to ea los angeles yeah and uh it was sort of like I, to me that was sort of like when, uh, like, I can see, I can totally see the people at Wisdom being, like, man, like, we, we, ha- we have to compete with these other big RTSs and stuff like that. We also have to compete with, like, trying to get people to play computer games on a computer mm-hmm. that, like, you know, um, and playing real-time strategy games and not shooters and stuff like that. And so I felt, like, at this point, like, they needed a big ally, and EA was, like, a big, uh, was a big deal at the time, you know? It was... yeah. It it sort of still had a good reputation at that point, (laughs) but uh, I'm sure we'll get to talking to to this sort of more later on, but uh, yeah, you could tell that, you know, at this point it was, it was sort of like the beginning of a long and painful end. Yeah, but, and uh, it's,
0: uh, so it's the end of an era, and it's going to be the end of this podcast, mm-hmm. so we'll talk more about the sort of, I guess what you could call modern RTS games in our next episode. Um, for now, Chris, where can folks find you?
1: Yeah, so uh, again, I've sort of ramped down on my modding capabilities, but uh, if you still want to check out some of my past work, you can go to uh, and find me on ModDB. Um, you can also check out my animation work at, uh, chrisferris.com.
0: And for me, you can find me as always on my website at bluishgreenproductions.com, where you can submit user feedback, be it questions or comments about the show. You can also follow me on Twitter at bluishgreenpro or my personal handle, Attila Gabriel. Chris, thanks so much for coming on and, oh, uh, we'll see you all again soon, hopefully. Bye-bye.